Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. I'm pretty excited to introduce you to today's special guest. It is Alison Crabb. And now Alison is a retail leadership expert. She spent 25 years working and leading the largest division within Flight Centre Travel Group. And this also delivered the company's most profit globally for eight consecutive years. Can we get a heck yes for results? Alison's focus is on continuing improvement, which saw the division uh, recognized as the group's most improved division for six of those eight years. Wow, we are talking all about high performance here. Alison is an expert in retail operations and leadership. She's an expert in leading teams and teaching others to create an environment of trust, purpose and inspired culture where people work cohesively towards shared goals. Alison has led multiple brands simultaneously under Flight Centre Travel Group. She was responsible for delivering results in over 200 stores, opening in excess of 100 new stores as an area leader and a state leader. She's delivered profit from 18 million to 49 million in eight years. Whoop, whoop. That's good. Good big number there. And she is the winner of the Director's Award for Global Outstanding Achievement and a finalist in Telstra's Businesswoman of the Year. As you can probably tell by the intro, Alison is absolutely a powerhouse when it comes to retail leadership expert. And today we're talking all about multi-site leaders and how they can get the most out of their leadership journey and uh, building their teams across multi-site. Before we get too far into it or before we jump into it, if you like today's episode, and I'm sure you will, make sure you check out the show notes at madeformore.com.au forward slash slash 27 or 27. And of course, jump into iTunes and uh, leave a review. Let's dive in. You're going to love it. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. I am super excited to have a wonderful guest joining me in the studio today. Hello, Alison. How are you? And welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ellie. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to um, to speaking to you and, and your listeners. Me too. It is absolutely my pleasure. So before we get too far into it, Alison, tell me a little bit around how did you get here and where are you going? You know, tell us a little bit about your business now, but you know, how you ended up getting to to where you are today. Sure. Well, I guess it all started with my lifelong ambition from the time I was about eight years old, I think, was to be a primary school teacher. I remember as a as a little kid, I'd have all the kids in the street in my bedroom and I'd have my chalkboard and they'd have their seats and I'd give them uh, worksheets and I'd even prepare reports for their parents. Ah. <laughs> so um, I think I was born to be a teacher. But after completing, I did go on to, to do a teaching de- degree and I did teach for a few years. And then I guess a bit of a sliding doors moment happened and needed a bit of a change. And so I decided I was going to organise a trip to Bali. So I went into a flight centre store on a Monday, got some brochures and thought, hmm, 
this might be a, a, a good job for me. This might be like something just to do for, for six months or so, maybe get a couple of free holidays and, and then go back to the real job of teaching. So as I was grabbing my barley brochures, I asked the girl what I needed to do to, to get a job with Flight Centre. And she said, well, you need to speak to Jeff Harris. He owns the company. So I went home that Monday afternoon and I gave Jeff a call. I had an interview with Jeff on the Thursday and I started with Flight Centre on the Monday. So that all happened within a week. Wow. Uh, and what I thought would be a fun job for six months or so turned into an amazing career of 25 years. So, yeah, so the journey through Flight Centre was starting as a novice travel consultant and then running a few of their stores, opening a, a store in, in, the re in a regional town in Victoria and then I became an area leader and then went on to be state manager running over 200 stores with a turnover of about $1.2 billion. Wow. And then after 25 years at Flight Centre, I decided to set up my own leadership consulting practice in 2016. And that's what I'm doing now. And although COVID was obviously a bump in the road for everybody, I still love what I do. I'm very passionate about about the work I do in particular in retail. So that's my my sweet spot, if you like. Yeah. So take me back, you know, back to 25 years ago when you, you know, walked into Flight Centre, you'd been studying to become a teacher. And I think, you know, I think at some stage we all kind of go through that phase. I remember doing, what is it, uh, work work placement or something like that in year 10 and wanting to be a teacher and, and uh, walked into a, a classroom of receptions and there was just so much booger. And I was like, oh, actually, no, <laughs> that's not for me. Ironically, I now have four children and uh, am constantly having to wipe booger. But I think it is one of those phases that we go through. And so tell me a little bit around, you know, what drew you to flight centred? Was it, you know, you thought that you were going to get free flights or did you like the customer service base? Because it's quite different to teaching. Well, look, I don't know if it was one particular thing. I mean, what attracted me was I have a real passion for travel. Yeah. So that that was probably the initial attraction, but I think it was the the culture, but also the business model. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind, I was 23 years old back then and knew nothing about business. But it was, I guess, one of the frustrations with teaching is that it doesn't matter how good you are as a teacher and how committed you are as a teacher, you're actually paid on longevity. Mm. Um, a first-year teacher earns X amount and a 10-year teacher earns a higher amount regardless of any sort of result or, or motivation for the, for, for the job of teaching. The thing about Flight Centre, I think the initial attraction was that you're paid on your results. And so there was a real mentality around ownership. It was like almost you owned your own little business within a business. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the harder you work, the more you earn. The better service you gave a customer, they would come back and book their next holiday with you. So there was this real sense of, of business ownership at a, at, at, a, at, a, at a consultant level. Mm -hmm. And I have to say I was very, very lucky that Jeff Harris, who was the founding owner, really took me under his wing and, and you know, really developed well, really recognised initially my capacity to be a leader, which I'd never considered myself as a leader before, but really identified something in, in me and, and really developed me and gave me opportunities. So within two years, in the oh, 12, within 12 months, I was an assistant manager. Mm -hmm. And within then at two years, I became a store manager. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So tell me a little bit around, because when you start, you know, start a career at 23 and then you go on to lead people, tell me a little bit around, and I mean, at the moment you run a a leadership consulting um, practice all around working with leaders in, in the retail sector. But, you know, 25 years ago, we couldn't just jump online, perhaps we could, you know, it wasn't as uh, convenient to jump online and book travel. So you would, I imagine that the flight centre and the way that people book travel was quite different to what it is today. Well, you know, 12 months ago. But tell me a little bit around your your journey into leadership and and what led you to, you know, recognise that this is what you wanted to do as your business 25 years later. Well, I think, I think the first thing is, you know, I think from, as I said, from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And I think initially we think teaching is in a classroom in the education system. Yeah. And I think as I reflect back, you can be a teacher in so many different fields. You know, I'm a, te- I'm a teacher now. And I think when I look at what drove my results at Flight Centre, it was because of my ability to teach. Yeah. So whether you're a football coach or, you know, teaching appears in so many different ways. Yeah. Not just the traditional classroom and, and education system. Yeah. So I think I think that was the first thing and that I, I really, you know, the culture at Flight Centre was very much around family and, and you know, team-based, you know, tribal leadership, if you like. Yeah, cool. Um, and I also saw the value and the importance of reward and recognition. You know, I've mm-hmm. spoken about reward in terms of your paid on your results, good mm-hmm. and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing that was huge in Flight Centre was recognition mm-hmm. on those results. So, you know, every month the whole of Victoria, which back then was not a lot of people, I must say, yeah. um, but it was, you know, once a month we would all get together, have dinner, and the top, you know, results were read out, top store uh, results were read out, individual results. So I really started to see the, the very things that drove, that drove results. And sometimes we think it's money that drives results, but it's actually not. It's, it's really the sense of significance, the sense of feeling valued, feeling appreciated yeah. and having a voice. And that's what Flight Centre did brilliantly, you know, monthly one-on-ones, with your with your leader which is still um, prevalent today yeah so it was just a culture very much around people and the people were the heart of the business yeah I think that that's what I saw firsthand yeah and it sounds like they unpacked that tricky little piece that variable uh, called people early on and and began to realize that yet yeah, we you know we can throw money at it we can absolutely reward staff but what we need to be doing is that recognition piece and I think when leaders start recognizing recognizing the recognition what tends to happen is that you build this culture of high performance so rather than it being competitive and everyone trying to get the reward it becomes much more celebratory even if there is you know that recognition at the individual level but then we extend it out to start recognizing you know teams and and regions so when you went from you know starting working working there within a week and then becoming the assistant manager when did you start to sort of start getting a feel for you know leadership and knew that that is where you wanted to continue to expand your career tell me a little bit around the journey yeah well it was actually the two-year mark where my store manager her husband was relocating to Sydney so she relocated with my mm-hmm. Which created the opportunity for me, I guess, to step mm-hmm. up into a into a team leader role. And fortunately, I took on the role. I learned everything, uh, every, did every everything that I now know not what to do uh, <laughs> of um, trying to wear too many hats. Yes, and I soon realised that 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 wasn't um, a way to lead effectively. 
Yeah. Uh, and so what I learned, I think one of my first lessons was, you know, I believe the level of ownership that your people have is in direct proportion to the level of communication that you have around the business. Ooh, yes. Boom. So one of the very first things I did, I don't know where I got this idea from, but I got an idea of around that model around, I created what I called a business folder for everybody in the team. And every Tuesday we'd have a team meeting and we would go through various parts of the business. So at the end of the month, when results came through in terms of what our sales results were, what our costs were, and therefore what our profit was, that profit and loss statement was handed out to the team and they knew everything that, 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 that there was to know about the business. They knew what it cost to run that store. They knew what our income was. They knew what profit we made. And then within that, I delegated various areas of the business to each person in the business, which we called directorships. So there was a director of marketing. So their job was to make sure that all of our marketing systems were in place. There was a director of product, making sure that all our product our brochures and everything were up to date, a director of travel insurance to make sure that we had all the information we needed around travel insurance, as an example. And so everybody had a directorship. So they came to each meeting and did a little mini report on their area. So I think what I soon learned is that, you know, the level, if you want your people to be engaged, they will only be engaged at the level you give them the information. Once they had everything, they all had a team of eight consultants. They all cared about the business, cared about the results, cared about the clients as much as I did. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really instilled. Then when I became an area leader and then state manager, that was a number one philosophy for me, that if your people are disengaged, you have to reflect, are you sharing the information that they need to be engaged? Oh, the classic with them, yes. If they are coming in, doing their job and going home and that's all, well, maybe there's an opportunity for you to be giving them more information so they feel that they have more ownership over over mm. mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's a real value in, in uh, reflecting on that for all leaders. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few, I think, absolute gold nuggets in that. So the first one was around, you know, the transparency is in and everyone in your team, you know, knew what the profitability was of your store and, and where they were kind of sitting. So therefore had an invested interest. And then the second part, and I think, you know, this is a really great tool or philosophy for all leaders to adapt, whether it's in retail or whether it's in their own leadership position is around that responsibility. And I think, you know, particularly when we're new in the leadership space or are recently promoted promoted in the leadership space, it can be really easy uh, to want to hold all the things close to our chest. You know, heaven forbid we get found out that we're not quite good enough to to be there. But it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you know, being able to delegate the responsibility to each of your staff members, you know, it lifted the entire team up. It wasn't just you sort of running running the show. It was everyone um, pitching in and taking responsibility for themselves as well. Absolutely, Ali. And that's the key thing. It's the responsibility. It's not just the task. Mm. So, mm. you know, the director of travel insurance, their job was to grow our insurance sales as an example. Yeah. So they were given total responsibility for being able to do that. So it's not just about giving them a list of jobs to do, but it's having purpose in that role and, and letting them, you know, really own that part of the business. 
Yeah. So tell me, and this is just for our listeners as well, from a, a tactical or tangible perspective, when it came to appointing people directors of various areas, did you kind of look at their strengths or was it interest areas of interest? Was it a volunteer thing or, you know, was it a you, you are now designated to this particular portfolio, for example? Initially, it was very much, well, I think they're one in the same sometimes. It's a chicken or an egg thing, you know. Are you good at something because you like it? Or is it the reverse? You know, you like it, so, you know, so you, you become good at it thing. But I just, when when I set out the directorships, the way we did that, it was myself and my assistant manager at the time, what we did, we literally wrote down everything that needed to be done to make that business operate, everything from emptying the bins, like yeah everything yeah and what we did we set out the directorships and then we allocated those each each task and everything that needed to be done under each of those directorships mm-hmm. and and typed up the directorships of each and you know, director of this and director of that and then we went through it with the team and then we asked the team what what would be the directorship they would really like to take on yeah and so we did that and then we rotated it every three months but if someone was really passionate about their directorship and they were doing an amazing job and and everyone was happy for them to stay in that directorship that's what we did as well yeah so you know the the thing I learned unintentionally I guess is that so many people certainly when I became an area leader and then state manager so many people under my leadership went on to become great leaders within themselves Ah. and take on bigger roles so I think that's a fantastic development tool yeah leadership the directorship model yeah Absolutely. So tell me, well, you just mentioned about being the state manager. So tell me a little bit around the shifts that you had to make as a leader as well from, you know, working with a, a team that you're seeing every day, nine to five or, you know, whatever their working hours happen to be, to then becoming, you know, a regional manager and state manager where you're managing multi-sites. You know, some of them I imagine were far away, regional, regional or rural sites. How did you go managing teams that, you know, you didn't kind of have your finger on the pulse all the time? Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a really important, I guess, skill I think that I had to learn. It's very, it's not easy, but it, it, it's a different leadership style when you are with your team every day versus leading a, a number of teams remotely mm-hmm. and you're not leading that team every single day. So, the transition from store manager to area leader happened after about four four and a bit years as a as a store manager and then leading our thirteen stores, mm-hmm. and I think that was a huge lesson for me because I I, I what I tried to do was lead thirteen stores. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> that you actually can't lead thirteen stores, and 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 certainly in the work I do now in retail and certainly in the book that I've just written there's a huge section in the book around this very topic you know an area a store manager can lead through control controlling the environment whereas a regional manager or an area leader has to lead through influence so it's a very different style and it's the very thing that I think can trip people up and can be the biggest inhibitor to results when you try and lead through control yeah you know I refer to it as spinning plates, trying to, you know, the clown at the circus that yeah. spins the plates. And when you're an area leader with a with a control leadership style, then you are there with trying to spin the 13 plates. And what you'll soon see is eventually the plates come crashing down. Yeah. So it's about being able to lead through influence 
And so then what sits under that is being able to be really clear, having very clear expectations of all of your um, leaders and store Mm. managers, Mm. but then being able to provide the level of support that is needed to meet those expectations. Yeah. So, you know, high, high expectations matched with high support. Yeah. And that's around how you plan and prepare for store visits and one-on-ones, how you follow up, uh, how you communicate and how you inspire and give recognition and, and, and make them feel good about the work that they do. Yeah. Uh, and then the other side of that, of course, is being able to have honest conversations which yeah. I know you're passionate about, yeah. uh, have honest conversations when they're needed because you want your people to do their best work and they can only do that when they're given honest feedback. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's amazing what you said there. You know, you can lead by control because you can kind of, you know, tweak and adjust uh, accordingly when you're there, like you're right there in the business. But when you've got multi-sites, you do need to be able to empower your staff, influence them in some way, but also offer that support. So tell me a little bit, around, you know, this multi-site, you know, obviously that when you were looking at 13 different teams, it's kind of 13 different little ecosystems. But now what we're seeing and we're going to continue to see is uh, teams that are operating, you know, whether it's remotely or geographically dispersed. How do you think this kind of uh, leadership model or leadership style will need to be adapted even for teams that are within the team, air quotes, within the same team but are actually uh, geographically located in different areas or perhaps, you know, remote or some in office? How do you think people or leaders can adapt that same style? Yeah, look, I think I still feel this is a fundamental part of leadership but I think it is more prevalent now in what you're saying when there is a lot more remote working going on is that you need to have a very strong vision and goal. Uh, and purpose as to why you are doing what you do and having everybody aligned to the one vision and the one goal. Yeah. And quite often when people are not doing what's required is because they don't have purpose. They don't understand why they're doing what they do and how their role fits into the, to the larger piece of the business. So certainly with the, you know, when I went from, so my first life as an area leader was four years and then I went off and had my two boys and then I came back to the area leader role for three years later and happened to take on the most underperforming region within Victoria, which was 18 stores. And only one of the 18 were making money. The rest were losing money. Shit is. And so I thought, where do I start? Where do I start? And it is exactly what you've said. It was around, okay, we need a vision. We need a goal that everybody is aligned to. Mm. Um, and the goal... What I'd also learned is that, you know, people are humans first and employees second. Yes. So we need to understand why people do what they do. What's their motivation? What's their passion for, for working in travel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, the, that's sort of where I started. And we had a very strong vision, which wasn't really around the business. It was the vision was actually called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. Oh, love it. And coined by Hillary Clinton way back when. And I just resonated with that. And it's, it's about it takes a village to raise a child. And, and, and I guess that was about teams working together for a common goal. Yeah. And that common goal was travel is people travel for a whole range of different reasons. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's for good and sometimes it's not so good. And our job was to make that experience the best it could be. Yeah. So it was really about teams working together yep. to achieve a common goal. And yep. so for me, 
what I'm noticing now, and particularly as I think one of the challenges for organisations now with so much remote remote working is when new people join the business and they mm-hmm. don't have the relationships yeah. uh, with the people and they're not sure quite how they fit into the to the bigger picture of, of the organisation. Mm-hmm. So for me, having a very strong vision and getting everybody bought into that vision and mission and, and purpose mm-hmm. is where I would start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell me if you attempted to do this or not. I see this a lot with, with leaders, particularly if they're going into, you know, difficult teams or, you know, air quotes, toxic teams, underperforming teams, is they get so caught up putting out the people fires, whereas in actual fact, if we can take that step back and work on the business rather than in the business, so on the business, building that vision and, and mission and purpose, it means that the people fires kind of start to extinguish themselves how tempted were you to you know do the people stuff or did you know that you needed to you know get everyone working together yeah look it, it absolutely started with the with the people stuff and really you know I think I think the, the thing for people as I say they're humans first and that they everybody comes to work to do a good job. Nobody comes to work to do a terrible job. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, where I started, it's, it's what I've actually now in my practice, I call the performance pyramid. And the very bottom layer of the pyramid is what I call the environment. And the environment piece is that softer stuff. It's the stuff you can, you can feel but you, 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 but you can't touch. And it's really around the relationships. It's around connect, human connection, sense of belonging, feeling valued, feeling appreciated. So that's to me for any team that I work with now in my practice and what served me well through every leadership journey I went on through Flight Centre, it was working on the environment first. And then the next layer of the performance pyramid is strategy. And, you know, every organisation needs a good strategy, you know, people strategy, marketing, product, finance, all of those things. And then the top of the pyramid is results. So, so many organisations try and focus or they do focus on their results, but to me your results are an outcome of your environment and your strategies. A hundred percent. And I think when the results are less than what we what we anticipate, then we're like, we need a better strategy. We need to <laughs> we need to strategize. Here's our strategy paper. Whereas in actual fact, it's all of that, you know, air quotes again, the soft skills um, that we need to be able to create that connection and buy-in with teams. So tell me, you mentioned earlier about your book. Congratulations. Very, very exciting stuff. So tell me a little bit about your book. What's it called? Where can we find it? Yeah, sure. So I guess one of the positives to come out of lockdown was having the time and space just to focus on on writing the book. And it's something I've been wanting to do for a couple of years, but so busy delivering that just didn't have the time and space to get the book done. So the book is, it's a retail leadership book, and it's called The Essential Guide for Area Leaders in Retail. There's a lot of philosophies in there, a lot of concepts in there that I guess are, you know, transportable to any industry, but the book is very targeted on retail and particularly for multi-site managers. So anyone who is leading multiple teams and, and needing to lead through influence rather than control, the book's very much designed. It's a very how-to book, which is what I really wanted it to, what I wanted it to be. <clears throat> and the thing about retail is that, you know, 86% of all uh, retail sales are still made in bricks and mortar stores 
online is growing and of course through COVID we didn't have a lot of choice yeah particularly if you're a Victorian but the area leader role is where they manage they're leading multiple stores yeah that's an amazing statistic 86 percent is still people walking into a store yeah 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 wow I'm really surprised by that retailers you know their stores are still their biggest sales opportunity and I think the area leader role is fundamental, critical, crucial to to retail success. So certainly from my own experience as an area leader and then leading area leaders, they were really the biggest point of success or failure yeah. for, for results. So the book's very practical and it's really to help area leaders lead and have more impact. You know, even if you're not in retail but manage people in multiple locations, then there's lots of strategies in the book as well. Awesome. I'll put the link to that in uh, the show notes for today's show if anyone would like to pick up a copy. But before we say goodbye, tell me your top five tips for leaders. Sure. So I guess I've tried to make these, I've actually got 10 tips. I'm giving you five that I think are are transportable to, to any leader. And I guess the first one is, I think I spoke about this a bit earlier, but it's about having high expectations, but having the high level of support to match those expectations. You can't have high expectations but not match the support. And then on the flip side of that, I sometimes see leaders have an enormously high support but really struggle with the high expectations. Mm. So it's really about, you know, asking yourself, you know, is everybody clear on what I expect and am I providing the level of support for them to be able to meet those expectations? Love it. That would be the first the first principle, I guess, first tip. Second tip, we've sort of spoken about this, which is around environment, strategy and results, the performance yeah. pyramid, that so much focus is very much on, on strategy. And as you highlighted, that when results are not going to plan, the first thing we do is um, talk about strategy. Yeah. Whereas where I see all the pain points are in are in the environment. You know, I'm yet to hear of anybody that's left an organisation because of the strategy. Uh, (laughs) Or the product strategy, you know, people leave organisations because of the environment. And so that should be the first place that you start if you want to improve your results. Awesome. My next tip would be around creating community and sense of belonging. Yeah. When people feel that they belong, when they feel valued and, and appreciated, that is what will do- drive their result or their desire to deliver a result for the organisation when they feel part of something. It's yeah. a human core need and it's the one that I think is the easiest to fix and certainly the cheapest to fix, but it's the one that sometimes gets, um, get, gets missed. Yeah. I think for any organisation, developing leadership depth. So mm. your succession plan consistently. Yeah. I think that's what is hurting a few, certainly a few of my clients right now when they haven't been able to, you know, focus on succession planning and leadership development over the last 12 months because they've been, you know, putting out People so many fires, problems. yeah. Yeah, and so many challenges they've had to deal with that it's starting to come back to haunt them a little bit. So, you know, developing your future leaders is an ongoing thing. It's not something you'd start and then finish. It's something yeah. that is an ongoing evolution. Yeah. And really looking at for every role in your organisation, is there somebody that's that's capable of stepping into that role? And if there's yeah. not, 
So it's really yeah. mapping it out. Mm-hmm. If not, you really need to put some focus on that now yeah. um, so that it doesn't come back to haunt you down the track. Yeah. And I yeah. guess my last, my last tip uh, is, is getting advice from people who are getting results. I think mm. whenever, we, whenever we are looking for advice, we can quite often go to people and take on the advice. But the question we need to ask is, what results are you getting? Yep. So, you know, it's certainly a a strategy that served me well. If I need um, help or advice in a certain area of my business, I go and find somebody who I consider to be an expert. Yep. um, Or is getting results in that area. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't go to, you wouldn't go and get health advice from somebody who, you know, is, uh, unhealthy so in your business think about where you need advice and make sure they're getting the results that you want to get yeah and I think I love that saying it's a Tony Robbins I think the that success leaves clues and this is such a, a good yeah. I guess little takeaway to take with you you know follow the people that you uh, want to actually follow in their footsteps as well that is wonderful so yeah get advice from the people that are actually getting the results as opposed to doing a bit of a, a survey <laughs> around people that may not actually know at all around your business thank you so much for your time today Alison if we've got any of our you know multi-site retail leaders that are listening in are they can they you know book in a time to talk to you how can they do that yeah, so certainly anybody wanting a copy of the book, they can go to my website, which is alisoncrab.com.au. Nice. Beautiful. And if you jump on my website, there's a space there for you to get in touch. And if you want to book in a clarity call with me for me to understand more about your business and what you want to achieve, more than happy to have a conversation with you and see, see if uh, we're a good fit to work together. Sounds amazing. So if there's any of those area uh, leaders out there or multi-site leaders that are thinking that their plates are (laughs) near toppling from all of that spinning, you know, I'll put the links in the show notes as well so you can reach out to Alison. Thank you once again. Pleasure. Lovely to be with you, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.